Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of How to Scale an Agency. I'm on the call with Jan Baranek, and he has a company called U Plus, focused on innovation and growing enterprises, mid-market companies who are looking to reinvent themselves and launch in new verticals. Did I explain that right, Jan, or do you have any uh, other it. ways you describe it? Okay, cool. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? What, what got you started in the innovation space, let's call it. And uh, for all intents and purposes, it is centered around marketing and growth and growth marketing and, and things like that. So how'd you get started in that? Right. So I started um, coding and designing when I was 14 and sort of building websites. Um, I was playing a lot of Quake online and my dad was telling me, why don't you do some of these websites? Uh, things? <laughs> um, so that's how yeah. it started. Nice. And um, coded a lot of websites by myself, uh, created my own CMS. And at 20, I uh, started U Plus, I'm 32 now. Uh, and yeah. really, literally the reason was um, to have a company to be able to bill against um, <laughs> with yeah. very small customers back then. And throughout the years, uh, I studied two universities uh, at, at the same time, economics and, and computer science of master, master's in computer science. That's fantastic. And, and um, Starting U Plus at the same time, and we found, um, you know, 2012 ish, we found uh, the large agencies like Habas and Publicis, etc., uh, wanting to go a lot into digital, and they were selling all of these things as part of their larger, uh, you know, strategies. But they didn't really have anybody in house who would be born into that, right? So I was at the right time, yeah. the right place. I am uh, I'm Czech, so uh, Havas had had maybe has still a digital production center in the Czech Republic in Prague. So we essentially built a team of 14 people for them uh, and did everything that Havas did in Europe. Uh, and but slowly we we found that it's a lot of campaign work, and then you know at most it takes two three months for you to see the work, and then and then it you know it, it gets trashed. And you start yeah. again. Um, so we we wanted to do more um, more and bigger uh, and longer lasting projects that would have meaning uh, yeah. past like the one campaign, and um, it was around the time when uh, a lot of corporate innovation started happening. Uh, at least in Europe, there's this there's difference between Europe and North America in the sense that European markets are tend to be smaller, corporations tend to have less money. Uh, so the natural direction in, in the U.S. that you have going for an accelerator or an open innovation thing or anything like that and ultimately acquiring the company was not really happening that much in Europe. What happened in Europe was, well, we got to build it ourselves, right? There's nothing like that and we can sort of pass it. So about seven, eight years ago, we we won our first uh, corporate innovation project. It was for a local bank, um, built a paperless office system called X-Paper. I don't think it's uh, live anywhere anymore. Um, and and that was the beginning of the transition. And when we sort of exploited everything that we could on the market it, uh, in the Czech Republic, I wanted to go uh, past that. So we first tried Western Europe, um, <clears throat> UK, then ultimately China and New York. And the what was you know for for a foreign founder it was the easiest path for me was really to go into New York because everybody's from somewhere there and it was easy to just show good work a couple times and you start getting recommended and we built it from the ground up, bootstrapped, um, and now US is 90% of our revenues. Right. And you you guys are doing, uh, I think from what I uh, heard before, it's you guys are about $10 million agency. Is that correct? Or <laughs> $10 million is our current run rate and, and our plan is to be $30 million next year. 
Oh, fantastic. And I think what I want to center a lot of this conversation on, uh, because it is extremely unique uh, for agencies to be doing this, um, at least well, is from what we had discussed, you had mentioned that the innovation projects you take on, uh, these retainers or these project sizes are about a, mil a million dollars minimum, right? I mean, this, they're pretty big. Yeah, it happens to be upwards of $100,000 a month, uh, typically. Yeah. Uh, we have a stage get a process called uh, the U plus method. Uh, you know, just just to get give the background, the reason why we exist is is that corporations are really not good at uh, digital innovation. Um, in fact, most of it fails, and it fails at least from our experience uh, because there's a lack of um, innovators. Uh, there's a lot of operators, right? Yeah. Um, as not stage, they don't have the stage relevant skill set. You might have a marketer, but it's a very different market than you would have for early stage company or startup. It's a different skill set. And then there's a lack of sort of data driven stage data process so that you know if the idea that you're working on uh, turning into a business is viable or not, and how do you compare it against uh, all of the other ones? So. We have all of that and we sort of come as a package that comes at the very beginning with ideation or market validation, um, then market testing, then the building the tech and then uh, operationalizing everything to get to first customers. Right, so we've done it over 80 times or 90 times now in the past seven years, over a billion dollars in market value that we brought uh, our customers. That is fantastic. What would the, can you walk me through the first time you closed a contract for a million dollars because that's something I actually have not done myself. And I think a lot of people would be very interested to learn how you did that. Um, was that from a referral from somebody? I mean, I'm assuming most of your business is probably word of mouth. Um, how did that come in? Like what was, what was the parameters? You don't have to tell the company name, but like everything else around it would be interesting. So, yeah, I don't, I don't still remember the one, but I, I can, I can, I can give you an idea of like the types of projects. Mm -hmm. Our mantra is always, uh, we, Maybe this is a good way of approaching it. We started working with uh, a lot of early stage startups when we first came to the U.S. And yeah. it was a viable entry market entry strategy, but it's not not a good long term sort of recurring revenue strategy because it's you need to do the same work to help them get to market and and get product market fit. But they inevitably, in most cases, run out of money regardless of what you do if you do yeah. a good job or a bad job, right? So so there's a there's a high probability that you're that you're going to lose that business, and you're sort of constantly running trying to get the next one, right? And yeah. so, with corporations or bigger companies, typically, if they're not struggling, if they're you know financially stable, if you do a good job, they want to keep you around to continue doing that good job, and ideally expand what you're doing, right? So, right. our our mindset has always been: what is it that? What are their KPIs? Mm -hmm. What is that we need to, what it, what is it that we need to help the person that works with us um, to achieve so that they're right. successful and if they're successful, they want to, they will want to keep us around. Right. And ultimately in these businesses, you can think of us as we have a market research company. We have a product development company. We have a dev shop. We have a design studio. We have growth marketers and all of that packaged in house. If you, if you take any single one of these, your intention is always to, uh, or your motivation would always be specifically with the dev shops is how do I build the most hours, right? And how do I how do I keep my team there? Well, if you look at the KPIs that these people have, it is actually not the metric that they look, look at, of course. They're looking yeah. at their business KPIs. So a lot of times the answer for that dev shop is you shouldn't build that 
uh, and you shouldn't run this campaign and you shouldn't do things like that. You should verify that what, what it is that you want to build is, is the right thing to build because you may get additional maybe 50, maybe 100, maybe $300,000 off of building something and billing those hours. But then the relationship ends because you've, uh, you've built something that's not viable in the market. It's not going to work out. And ultimately, the person that you work with uh, in the organization is not going to have success, right? So they, they will not want, you, want to keep you around. Yeah. So for us, it's always how do we find early success? Not for us, but for the product. And if we find early success for the product, then it comes back to us, right? So that's yeah. how we create relationships that are long lasting. And it's easy then to, it's not even upsell. It's like, we want to do more of these things because it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's useful. And then for the people in your company, it also reduces churn, right? Because they want to work on things that are long-term. They see the purpose, they, they see the results. That's fantastic. And, um, you know, I, I would assume too, your cost to acquire, your margins are probably very good on this business because, uh, your cost to acquire a customer is probably uh, lower than it would be if you had to spend a lot of money on Google ads, Facebook ads, or some form of lead gen. I'm sure you might do some of that, but um, you know, what are margins on a business like this that's with million dollar contracts plus, and a lot of it's from referrals? I mean, are you would you define this kind of business model as like high margin because of those uh, unit economics, or what would you say? Um, so many many answers to that. So if you look at high level management consulting, you have 45 to let's say 60% uh, gross margin, right? Because mm -hmm. there's high, uh, high hourly rates. Mm -hmm. But there's a, uh, there's a time when they have to leave because it's too costly, right? Yeah. Um, so we have similar margins uh, overall. Um, but the, the value that we bring is front loaded with figuring out what makes sense building using all of the tools that we have in our toolbox, right? So um, all the UX, all the UI, all the dev, all the commercialization, all the product people, all of this, like we are always trying to put together a stage relevant team um, to be able to execute on these things. And and one of the things that we actually haven't mentioned is uh, we, since COVID, we're completely remote. We have uh, roughly um, 100 people now, um, 90 people. Um, and a lot of those are in Europe. Right, so we have Europe. Our markets are Europe broadly, uh, Middle East, and North America. So we have people in all. The people who lead the projects, or who we call commercialization leads, are are in market always. Mm. Um, so we have North American commercialization leads uh, running North American projects. Um, Very interesting. European leading European projects, but the but the. Um, a lot of the delivery that is not the front customer front facing happens in Europe. And it's sort of the bridge that I provide being from there, but sort of doing business here and, and understanding how that works. Um, so in, in providing that background, a lot of the, a lot of the value of the high margins happen at the very beginning where we deliver the most value. Right. And then as we de-risk the process for the company, uh, they start there, the skill set that they have in house starts becoming more relevant. And also they understand a little bit more what kind of skills that they need to hire for, right? So as we acquire initial customers for them, uh, they will want to replace some of our people with theirs, which is completely fine. And quite frankly, typically our product and development and design people stay for much longer to support it because those are the hardest, they're the hardest uh, skill sets to hire as a team that would work and understand the business side of things. Yeah. 
and it, and and for them to be co- a cohesive team, right? So yeah. then it almost doesn't matter where they, where they're at as long as they understand what this is. So that that drives our sort of long tail profitability and and I actually don't know if it's like I don't I, I would say it's at least half of our of our revenue comes from that from those long term things. That's Maybe fantastic. More. That's fantastic. And uh, I will I do have um, you know one more question and then I'm gonna toss it over to Andrew if he has any questions. Uh, Andrew handles a lot of the sales side of questions and things like that for um, our interview guests. But uh, I'm curious, you know, you said that you started this company what twelve years ago when you were twenty? Yep. Yep. So you know what, one thing that we've kind of gone through as an agency, and I've seen other agencies do this as they scale, is when you start to get economies of scale, um, you can offer more and more value. Uh, and it, it makes sense to stay with stickier and stickier customers and maybe even go higher and higher up market, right? So like mm-hmm. we start off with small business, now we're moving into mid-market, enterprise, like working with large companies. Um, it, I, the inevitable conclusion, I would imagine, would be for us to also be playing in a similar space with really high margins kind of management consulting and uh, moving into larger and larger contracts with big companies that are stickier, have higher margins and less churn. I'm curious, um, is that the progression that you did when you started or were you always focused on enterprise or did you start that, that you said startups, but was that like fully backed VC startups raising like $30 million or was that just any old startup? And then you, you learned that innovation process and then you moved up and higher and higher over time. Moved up high and higher. We climbed the ladder. It was no shortcut. And at, I think, like five years ago, when we already did the corporate innovation work, but still did some of the campaign-style marketing agency stuff, um, we had a lot of internal discussions about, the, you know, we saw the revenue that was coming from the, from the short-term marketing stuff, but uh, also the longer secure... Um, contracts that we could get from the corporate innovation stuff, but we weren't as good at as good in selling those, right? So there was definitely like a year and a half, maybe two year buffer, which I think came down to my inexperience in sort of slamming the table and saying, no, we have to focus on one and it might hurt for a little bit, but it, it will it it would have been the better decision to make at that time. And we would have been probably further along now, but that's all part of the all part of the game. That's super interesting. Andrew, you have any questions? Yeah, absolutely. So I do want to kind of backtrack just for a second. Um, I know that our listeners would be like really, really interested in knowing a little bit more about how, you know, or the process of, you know, closing these very, very high ticket deals. And uh, I just have a really specific question around that. What do your contractual obligations look like for something so in depth? like Mm -hmm. corporate innovation are these 12 month contracts is it a case-by-case basis there are some that are 12 months uh a lot of them are rolling uh with uh, like a quarterly review um so i think i would say vast majority of of those are that so we can reasonably project like we our internal kpi is looking at and run rate like a yearly run rate um, that only makes sense if you have longer term projects, right? So you know that you know, in, ja- in, in January, we knew what our run rate is going to be for the year, just given the types of projects that we worked on and what, what it would take to get them to initial customers. And we communicate that to our customers early on. So that was no surprise. And, and ideally, when we build that trust, then we are the ones uh, who help um, 
who help define what the budgets should be actually for the next season, for the next financial year, so that we're baked into that if we're doing a great job, right? So that so that sort of creates a lot of the stickiness when you're already in. Um, but the question was, how do you sell uh, these high high tickets? No, no, no. You you certainly answered the question, and again, you were just exemplifying how much value you really do offer to these organizations. But I, I did want to continue on from there. You said, you know, the agency age is about 12 years old to reach about $10 million in annual reoccurring revenue. But the goal is to triple that by next year. What do you think <laughs> is going to be the main engine behind that sort of significant growth? Yeah, so let's uh, let's break it down to 12 years, right? So first six years, I, would, I, was, at, I was studying two universities at once, right? Okay. So... So it's not like I focused on it the whole okay. time. And I think we started <laughs> having it. Yeah, employees. So let's say it's seven years, right? Okay. And in those seven years, what you have to bake into that is it was literally Central Europe, right? And getting from Central Europe, building that team and, and getting to the US and getting vast majority of US customers. That included yeah. like two or three near bankruptcy events for us uh, because, because I, you know, I just stretched us so thinly to be able to constantly iterate what our value proposition would have to be mm -hmm. in order to fight on this. What is for us, it's a global market, right? There's, we're not looking at a, at, at a local com competitors anymore. Um, and it's, uh, we actually just want a business against BCG digital ventures, which, which is like, that was my goal. And that's like where we should be. Right. So let's say it's, it's six, seven years, including a trip to us, uh, failing a couple times and changing the whole management team like two or three or four times. Now, ultimately, the, the lesson, I have two lessons learned from this. Um, one is uh, get rid of the people who you know are not good enough early on uh, because if they're not good enough, they're, they're going to hire other not good enough people and it's going to trickle down and then you're going to have a problem. Um, and then it's much, much more painful to deal with that uh, later than early on. And it's uncomfortable at early on as well, but it's just, you know, you fall down a couple of times and then it's much, much more easy to do it early on. Mm -hmm. So that's one. And then the other thing, if you want to play on a global market, you have to have global level talent, right? So for example, we have um, our chief of staff who runs the European uh, delivery engine, uh, Anne Hoffender, Canadian Swedish lady who built two innovation labs uh, for Fortune 1000s and uh, built up uh, operations for two company builders from 30 to 300 people, right? I would not be able to build this company without her right now and the way that it's set up. Uh, the second person who has been critical for our growth in the past year is Sean Shepard, who's a yeah. uh, managing, managing partner for the Americas, uh, runs our North American business, and you know has exited three startups, um, uh, founded three VC funds, and was 140 startups. Um, uh, all in the Bay Area. So with that caliber of people, then you can get global business and then you can ask for these rates because that brings an experience and level of trust that frankly, just if I just showed up by myself, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be there for various reasons from background, age, whatever, right? Um, so I rely heavily on their experience. And now, um, and now why, why do we think that we can triple now? Right, so we we in the U.S. we quintupled this year, I think, or quadrupled this year, um, and eighty percent, eighty percent, or more than eighty percent of startup success or any company success is timing. Right mm -hmm. now, 
we have a great delivery team. We have a great sales team. Um, one led by Anne, one led by Sean. And so the rest is timing. And timing is super fortuitous with a, for, for us given COVID. COVID is the single fastest accelerant for digital transformation and corporate, corporate innovation. And venture building, which is what we do, building new digital businesses, new digital P&Ls for them, um, is the fastest growing thing, the most in-demand thing uh, for companies globally, right? So it is literally our, our time now. Our time now for one, two, three, maybe four years to grow the business as fast as we can. And that's how we're, that's how we're thinking about this. You know, actually that leads into one of my questions I've been uh, thinking about while you've been talking is, do you see this as then a, a, a venture type opportunity? One of the things I always get constantly when I talk to um, either like angel investors uh, is, or what have you, even though we're not seeking capital right now, but you know, let's say um, down the road or something, uh, you know, do do you feel like like an like an agency like this is a venture kind of opportunity? I mean, just given the growth rates and because a lot of angel investors will tell me, uh, you know, don't get like, get into SaaS. You know, agency margins and multiples are not as good as uh, a SaaS product or a SaaS company uh, or even e-com or something along those lines. Um, how do you feel about that? Because clearly, you built a very a good size uh, agency and consultancy and, and management firm that's different, right? So, how would you see that? So is the question if if we're if we're looking to sell or no? Just more or... like is well, how would you see this as like a, if you were to comp this to let's say a SaaS company or like an e-commerce company in terms of like future valuations and multiples and value like from a strict like asset basis? What would you what would you say? Like, do you think a company like this is comparable in, in terms of that uh, once it hits a certain size and you're growing this fast, or do you think there's still like inherent differences between having an agency uh, and a SaaS product? And do you think uh, do you think that at a certain point, the valuation for an agency growing this fast and the valuation for a SaaS product going this fast are pretty comparable? Or do you think they're still very different? I think the SaaS product would always have higher valuations because you're acquiring uh, user base, right? And the value typically, uh, if, if it's a good sale, right? Mm -hmm. So acquiring user base, maybe some tech, uh, but the valuation is going to be based off of the cross-sell that the acquirer can uh, can achieve using using what um, you know one way or the other with your pro with their product or with your product. Yeah. Um, so if you can get a SaaS company to scale this fast, you're going to get better results. Uh, I always say that I'm a developer and designer first, and somehow became a CEO. Um, I don't I don't I don't know. Just to be frank, I don't know any agency owners, founders, CEOs who would want to have an agency long term. Mm -hmm. I think for me, it was it was always a vessel to learn new things, um, and now I'm looking at it very differently. I'm looking at it as as an asset. So we've built a great platform to deliver very niche service that is required yeah. in all of the companies. So how do we scale that up? It doesn't necessarily have to have any tech, right? But we're what we're looking um, at now is there's a lot of Silicon Valley ideation studios who don't have the execution. So they're not really solving that problem for the corporate. They're solving the beginning of the problem and then the problem will persist, right? So if we can partner with those and end up using our global network, great, right? So, so that's how we're thinking about this. In terms of valuations right now, right now with where the market's at, if we IPO'd, we're high tens of millions of dollars uh, mm -hmm. because the valuations are not based off of EBITDA, but, but revenue. Revenue, yeah. Um, 
which is which is actually quite interesting. Would you say and it's like a like with that with an agency focus like this and fifty percent margins instead of like seventy to ninety percent like a SaaS company? Would you say once you get to this level of revenue, do they value it at two x revenue or do they value it at like higher than that? Would you say? No, the the valuations are now six six to six 20. x. Okay, so when you get that six high, to 20, it's... but revenue in agencies, which is yeah. crazy. That is crazy. That is nuts. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, yeah. so it it is not inconceivable if you're ten million dollars to get get listed on a public stock exchange, which mm. uh, which might be our future. But uh, the way Check. we're looking at this is, um, um, we have a platform. We have a really great asset to deliver a very specific skill set and service that that's necessary everywhere, right? So how do we scale that up as quickly as we can? And then, um, my point of view is. Where can we utilize it better? Is there is there yeah. a better is there a better place for this asset than in consulting? And one of the active discussions that we have is to create a private equity group that would buy up companies just and, that. Yeah. and and run digital transformation on portfolio companies that we would own, right? Because mm-hmm. it's it's essentially the same thing. So that is yeah. that is something that we actively actively now pursue. If you look at our website into our insight section, you'll see a digital transformation article for private equity that sort of outlines that. That's fascinating. And I can see obviously a really distinct advantage you'd have in the private equity space if you could take products and just revolutionize them uh, with your machine that you built. Um, but that's super interesting to hear a six to 20 X multiple is not inconceivable for a company doing $10 million a year because uh, you know, that, that is, you know, and that's in the range for a lot of SaaS products. You know, if you think about it, I'm on revenue, right? I mean, that's not EBIT, that's revenue. So that's, yep. that's not, that's not inconceivable. So, you know, uh, obviously there's a lot of growth. So, I mean, you know, no, nobody could come to you now and say, "Hey, here's um, you know, uh, two hundred million dollars uh, to buy you out." You'd say no because you think there's a lot more opportunity uh, than that. That might that might be a discussion that I would have. But <laughs> it's it's always if if there's a let's think about it this way: if there's a large portfolio of uh, of transformation that needs to happen in a particular corporation, and they want to build a new digital sort of. In some of the companies I work with, we're literally building new digital versions of, of those companies, right? That are like a new version. And and you would look at how much you have to pay, you'd have to pay for consultants and everybody else instead of having a you know task force like us, you would get to those numbers. You would get to hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. So um, those are, we're not looking to sell right now, but those yeah. are relevant discussions to have. And it's more like a... Um, how well are we doing uh, and how valuable uh, our service yeah. is sort of measurements. Yeah, no. And uh, I, I almost wonder, you know, if you're sitting on um, 50% margins, let's say 40%, 50% margins, cause you've moved up the food chain and you're actually the premium premier service and people are willing to pay you more uh, for that premium uh, offer. Um, you know, I, I'd imagine you, you know, you could definitely take a portion of that plow it into software development uh, and, rapidly increase your valuation just by having a portion of your business more as like an ecosystem for uh, developing these products and having a suite yep. of services, a suite of solutions uh, for companies. So um, really exciting to see where you go with this. And I would say, you know, um, one of my last questions for going into our last few kind of like rapid fire around here is, uh, you know, do you think this is the inevitable conclusion of all agencies? Like for instance, you start off as a minnow, you move your way up, you become a barracuda, then you become a whale, et cetera. I mean, not just in revenue, but in terms of targeting. Because when you look at like Hawk Media, you look at Mute 6, you look at these massive agencies that are getting acquired for $100 million or are valued at much more than that. Um, it seems like everything is about going up market. Everything is about charging uh, five to 10,000 plus a month at least. Uh, and it seems like everyone followed a similar path. Is that 
is that something you would advise most companies to do if you look at it as purely about creating a, the most valuable and scalable asset in the management consulting and agency space is the move to as quickly as you can uh, and ethically obviously move to bigger clients and larger retainers over time maybe not all the way up to a million unless you disagree and you think everyone should move to that large uh but you know just larger and more stable clientele is that is that the move everyone should be moving towards well i pose the question back it's like is there anything wrong with like is there anything that's bad about this right i i see i don't only, see anything bad <laughs> yeah so i see i see only benefits right but i can tell you the reaction that i have to what you're saying is looking at my past and stressing every month about uh early on about being able to to pay people or two months in like, do we have enough do we have enough cash Cash flow when you're growing is the is the is the number one thing. It's less revenue, but it's just cash flow, right? And when you're growing, you have to invest into growth. Otherwise, it's going to stall, right? Uh, there are mistakes that you're going to make because you're learning new things, and there are processes that you need to put in place. It's going to cost money, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, if you want to grow, you're inevitably uh, need to automate either you need to automate a lot of what you're doing so that you can have higher quantity and serve more customers. Mm -hmm. um, or you have to sort of deepen, uh, vertically integrate, and have higher quality so that you can have bigger customers, right? So that you don't have to think think about what happens next month, but you can have a discussion about what happens spring next year, right? Right, right. Well, it's been really great having you on, uh, Jan. And I, 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 we actually answered most of the questions that I usually ask at the end during this interview. <laughs> so I only have one really quick one, which is, do you have any book recommendations for anybody that you're reading right now? Oh, yeah. So... Two, two really good books are The Pyramid Principle by, by Barbara Mento, which is McKinsey's uh, Bible on how to communicate, structure communication. Mm -hmm. um, so it's great. I read it like 12, 12 years ago or something like that. Um, oh, by the way, probably relevant. The reason why U Plus still exists is because I didn't get to BCG and McKinsey. I didn't oh, get really? there. And, the, and, and that's when I started focusing on the company and start, started growing. So. Really right. happy that we that we won some <laughs> business against them. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. So Barbara Mento and the other one would be Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willing mm. and uh, can't remember the other guy. Uh, Seal uh, Seal Team yeah. Six. Uh, Leaf Babin, I think. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I read that book. It's very good. Very good. Um, well, thank you, Jan. And uh, you know, is there any uh, thing you want to mention the audience about where they can find you, how they can reach out to you, anything like that. Just go to your website, u.plus. Right, that's it. Yeah, go u.plus, u.plus. Um, if you're in North America, you see Sean's face there, uh, and you can have 20 minutes with him. If you if you log in from uh, Europe, you'll see you'll see my face. Uh, you can have 20 minutes with me, um, or use a VPN, and then uh, <laughs> feel free. Feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. We're always looking for agency partners, people who do, you know, tangential things to us. So we can do, we can sort of extend uh, how we cover the customer journey uh, and how we solve the problem for the customers, right? So uh, if we can thrive together and some of what we do can rub off on you or the other way around, that would be great. Yeah, and I will say for anyone listening, they have a fantastic partner program uh, and uh, it'll make you look better and bigger and cooler to partner with them. So do it. It's a really good idea. All right, well, thank you so much. And uh, until next time, everybody, um, thank you, Jan. And we really appreciate having you on. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Bye-bye, guys.